read a bit of background for Philippians from Acts chapter 16. We're going to listen to the letter. Uh, let's ask God for his help. Father, thank you that your gospel has been uh, going forward uh, since the first days. Uh, thank you that you've drawn men, women, and children to yourself. Thank you that your word works, and we pray that you'd work in us by your spirit as we hear it today. Please do continue the good work that you've begun in your son. Amen. A bit of background can be helpful. Uh, Philippians was written in Rome and sent to Christian men, women, and children in the city of Philippi in northern Greece. In Paul's time, the region uh, around Philippi was called Macedonia. We'd call it northern Greece. Philippi was a major city in the area. The prestige of being a Roman colony, uh, its citizens were proud to be Romans, but also wealthy uh, thanks to sitting on a major trade route. Barely any Jews in this city when Paul first arrived, and by the time Paul wrote from Rome, uh, the attitude to Christians had hardened into determined opposition Uh, We read earlier in Acts chapter 16 uh, what happened when Paul was there for the first time. Uh, In about AD 50, Paul preached the gospel in Philippi. Men, women, and children believed, and severe opposition began to build. Acts chapter 20 mentions uh, when Paul was back there again. uh, He stopped in Philippi on his way uh, through Macedonia towards Corinth and Rome. And then again on his way, oh, still, yeah, then, then again on his way uh, back towards Jerusalem. So that was about six years uh, after he preached the gospel in Philippi. Uh, within a year or so, Paul was in Jerusalem, arrested there. Then two years or so of captivity in Caesarea, not that far from Jerusalem. And then he appealed to Caesar to have his case heard by him and was sent to Rome. So ten years after Paul first preached the gospel in Philippi, the Roman colony, he was in Rome itself waiting for trial. And it was a trial which could result in his condemnation and execution. Through that 10-year period, Paul's relationship with the believers in Philippi remained remained warm. Uh, You'll hear that as I read the letter. Uh, their, Their church family with each other, their church family with him. He cared for them from a distance, and they cared for him. They've been a blessing to Paul through their prayers. They've been a blessing in their generous financial care. And more recently, they've been a blessing by sending Epaphroditus to care for Paul in Rome. Epaphroditus and the gifts that he brought had been a help, but Epaphroditus had been sick and nearly died. Some news had reached Philippi about that and reached back to Rome again that they'd heard. So about AD 61 or so, Uh, Paul decided uh, to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter. That's a bit of the backgrounds. When the letter first arrived, most of the believers in Philippi heard it. 
What I mean is, they didn't read it, they heard it. Uh, someone read and the rest listened. Uh, over the next two months, we're going to have the privilege of reading it and reading it section by section, uh, reading, reflecting, aiming to understand the letter better and better. Today I'm going to read the whole letter, and I want to encourage you to just listen. I've edited or changed it in different ways. Uh, the aim is to make it easier for you to follow and understand. Uh, some sections I've changed in pretty significant ways, pretty heavy edits. Uh, others more of a light touch. Uh, all of it I'm aiming to make it easier for you to catch and follow what's being said by listening. So what I'm doing, I guess, is somewhere between reading it and explaining it. Somewhere between just reading the text to you and explaining the text to you. So I guess it sits you know, pretty close between reading and sermon. Uh, feel free to look at your Bible. Um, this is not the Sunday I tell you. You may not look at your Bible. Uh, but you might find it uh, just... You might find that you're more more thinking about what I've changed than what's being said if you're kind of looking at the text. Uh, so feel free, you work out what's, what's most helpful. Um, if it's part of how you process, like you, might, you might find it helpful to take some notes as I, as I read. Uh, but maybe just listen. I will have lots of opportunities uh, to go back to confirm, to correct, to deepen our understanding. I'm looking forward to having my understanding deepened and confirmed and corrected as we read it together. But I mentioned some uh, themes, some ideas that get repeated going through uh, that might help you just as part of tuning in uh, to think about as I read. Uh, themes like joy and rejoicing, church as family, both with each other and uh, with Paul. Uh, their active partnership with each other and Paul, uh, servant-heartedness, suffering, imitation. You think of some others, I thought those would be some yeah, useful ones to have in mind yeah, as a read. Right, let's get going. This is a letter from Paul. Timothy's still with him. The key thing to say about them is that they are servant slaves of Christ Jesus. It's a letter to all the saints, to people who are set aside as God's people in Christ Jesus, who happen to be in Philippi. To all of you, including the people with leadership responsibilities among you, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God when I think of you. Every time I pray for you, I pray with joy. Because since the day I left Philippi, you've been actively partnering with me in the gospel. That gives me joy, and so does my confidence that God, who has begun a good work in you, is still working it, and will certainly finish it when Jesus Christ returns. It's right for me to feel this joy about you all, because I hold you in my heart, and because you are you're all fellow partners with me in God's generous grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You've been standing with me in all of it. God could tell you about all my joy, about all of you. 
I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and total clarity about what's good, so that you may know and choose what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Brothers and sisters, you know I'm captive in Rome. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Because I'm here captive, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord as a result of seeing me imprisoned, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It is true that some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The good-hearted ones do it out of love because they know God put me here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. They just want to cause me even more suffering in my imprisonment. What do I think about that? All I care about is that one way or the other, whether by fakers or gospel-hearted speakers, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Because I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager and expectation and, and hope, that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor and useful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Life or death? I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ because it's far better to go to be with Him than to live a little longer. But to remain in the flesh alive is more necessary for your benefit. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have plenty of reasons to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Meanwhile, one thing. Let the way you live be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. You standing firm and standing together in the gospel while they oppose you is a clear sign to them of their destruction but your salvation and that from God. 
for it has been given to you by God that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. You're engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and I hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and you know there is plenty, if there is any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, by having the same love, by being in full agreement and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this other person-centered mind among yourselves, which is already yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to hold on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given to him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My beloved, because Jesus humbled himself and is now exalted and will be honored, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it because God works in you. Work it because God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or arguing, uh, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out in my own suffering and possibly even death, poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial mate offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned about what's best for you. The others all seek their own interests, not the things... Jesus Christ is interested in. But you know Timothy's proven worth. You know how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. 
That's why I hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and servant to my need. Because he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is extra safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though... I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I have so many reasons to think that God would be pleased with me. But whatever was gained, Whatever gain I had, I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Actually, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. For his sake, I think of them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I think of all the things that used to be gained as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ in order that I may be found in him with a righteousness which comes from him. And so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let those of us who are mature think this way about life while we wait. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Because many people of whom I have often told you and I tell you again, even with tears, many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. He will transform us by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm. Stand firm in these ways I'm talking about. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And treat Yodia and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, also true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by praying and asking with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever, if there's any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Do them, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to, be, how to abound. I know in any and every circumstance... I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to partner with me in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even when I just left you and was a week of walking west in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, 
but I do seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied because I received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The letter ends there. Paul's first words identify him as a servant slave of Christ Jesus. Throughout the letter, we hear his servant-heartedness echo in his life and in the lives of the people he partnered with. They served, and they were willing to suffer because they put the eternal interests of others above their opportunities to avoid temporary suffering or opposition. They served and suffered as imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ, who served even to death on a cross. Through Paul, our Lord Jesus calls us to imitate him and imitate his apostle in the same gospel-hearted service, in the same commitment to one another as church family, in the same willingness to accept the cost which may come as we partner in pursuing the eternal interests of others. And he helps us see that it isn't something to put our heads down and put up with. Life like that, even when it costs, can be a source of joy and a reason to rejoice. We can and should rejoice in God's gift of righteousness we could not earn, accepted by God through what Jesus did. Rejoice and take joy in that. And we can and should rejoice in God's gift of getting to actively partner in defending and confirming the gospel no matter the cost. Let's pray. Great God and Heavenly Father, please do work salvation in those to whom we speak your gospel. Father, among those of us who trust you, please continue the good work that you have begun while we wait for the glorious day when we see our Savior. It's in him we pray. Amen.